Welcome and thank you for listening to the Okuo Church Podcast. We exist so that people will be in community with Jesus and one another. We'll do that by listening to God, loving people, leading by empowering others, and linking to our community. Today, Pastor Humby Cerveta will share a message with you. We hope you enjoy it. I'm so excited for this week because we are kicking off an entirely new series. So far this year, we've been talking about this idea of fruit, right? We, get the, we got the word fruitful from God before the year started. And we've been exploring everything around this idea of fruit. We've learned that fruit doesn't come from our own abilities, but from the Holy Spirit living within us. Then we learned what all the different spiritual fruit can actually be. Then in this most recent series, we dug into the idea of how terrible and frankly crappy situations in our lives can feed the fruit that the Holy Spirit is bearing in our lives. Now we're moving into our next series where we will tackle this statement. I don't want to go. Now this phrase reminds me of uh, this time I was hanging out with my friend, Pastor John Pyle. Now, before COVID came along, we used to have these lunches where we would get hot with one another. You know, honest, open, and transparent. So we would get hot about our lives. It was a time where we could sit down and talk through all the stuff that had been weighing down on us. So we would go and lay out all of our, all of our crap. And sometimes we would be sitting there crying at the table, which in case you're wondering, is not my favorite look. I don't recommend it. I give it zero out of five stars. But it's what we would do. So we just keep on going back to the sandwich shop. And because of all this, when I'm in there, I always feel like a little bit exposed. I never feel like a full confidence after I cry in a restaurant, especially when my tears are like falling into this ridiculously delicious sandwich. So this sandwich place is Zito's that we go to. So we go there to have a serious sandwich and talk and probably cry a little. Well, we finish up and I'm taking our baskets to the trash can and while I'm on my way back, I see this man uh, with, his, with his back to me and he's wearing a black shirt, you know, a collar, uh, and he's sitting alone at the table. And when I see him, I, I just get this feeling, this sense, this word, whatever you want to call it, that I need to pray with him, pray for him, which is a little strange for me to do, but hey, you know what? I'm up to do it, whatever, let, let's go. So I went back to the table to let John know that, hey, I need to pray for this guy over here. And so when I sat down to tell John, I kind of motioned toward that man's table right there. That's when I got my first good look at him. And when I saw him, a wave of terror just washed over me. Because that man that God wanted me to pray with that day wasn't just a regular guy. He was a Catholic priest. He had the collar, the whole whole thing. And in that moment, I'm like, God, I'm not praying for that guy. I'm not qualified to pray for someone at that level. I felt like such an imposter. I must have been a pastor for like a year at that point. And this man had devoted himself to God's kingdom for so much longer. I didn't measure up to praying for that guy. So I was like, I'm going to pass. I don't want to go. Have you ever felt like this before? Have you ever had a set of information set in front of you that you knew was the right thing, but you just couldn't go along with it? Have you ever felt like there's a way that God wants you to move, but you don't want to go there? Have you ever felt like there is this one thing, this one thing that you have to do, but it's too hard, or it's too scary, or you know that you are completely unqualified to do it or go there? If you have, you're in good company. And when we look at the Bible, we see this exact thing happen time and again. We see God call people to do things and they tell God, I don't want to go. Now this week, I want to jump into the story that we will read about the biblical character named Moses. 
So the story of Moses actually starts with what is going on when he's born. You see, Moses was born into fear. His people, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. Now, even though they were slaves, Pharaoh, Egypt's ruler, was threatened by them. And the reason he feared the Jewish people was because their numbers were growing at an alarming rate. Remember, this is before people could fill all their time by playing Angry Birds, looking at reels, and watching Netflix all day, so they had to fill their time with other stuff. Now, the reason Pharaoh was worried about the growing numbers of the people of Israel is that one day someone could attack Egypt, and then the, the Jews would join sides with the invaders and, and fight off the Egyptians. So Pharaoh ordered every male child of the Jewish people to be killed. It's basically genocide. But Moses' mother had an idea. She thought if she put her child in a basket and sent him down the river at the exact same time people are doing work, he will be taken in by a loving Egyptian family and be safe. So Moses' mom does that. She sends Moses in the basket and he's found. But it isn't just anyone that finds him, it's the daughter of Pharaoh. A real life princess finds him, names him Moses, and raises him as her own. Moses grows up in the palace and he learns all the ways of being an Egyptian, but also feels a connection to his people, the Jewish people. And even though Moses didn't get to spend time with them, he knew who he was and how he was created. So one day while he is overseeing some work being done uh, by, by the Jews, an Egyptian begins to mistreat one of the Jewish workers and starts to beat him. So Moses jumps in out of control with anger and kills the Egyptian. Then he buries the Egyptian man so no one would find out. The next day, Moses sees two Jewish men fighting and goes to break it up. When one of the guys asks him, are you planning to kill me like you did the Egyptian? Now at that point, Moses totally freaks out. He's in fear of getting punished for this deed, so he fled. Fear sent Moses away from the place that he'd been put and ran to a place that he thought was better. I imagine he ran even though he grew up in the palace with Pharaoh's daughter acting as his mother uh, because he wasn't fully accepted. Or maybe he had created this narrative in his head that people didn't fully accept him in that palace. Either way, Moses had this idea that he would be disciplined and looked at as different. You see, you see it on full display in this story. He didn't fully fit in with the Egyptians, obviously, and Moses felt more connected to the Jewish people because that's who he was. Jewish blood flowed through him. Here's the tough part, though. Even though Moses felt this loyalty to the Jews, they didn't feel the same thing for him. Moses steps up and tries to protect one of his people, and then the next day, they kind of mock him. The same people he just saved from an unjust treatment were not only ungrateful for being saved, but they were openly hostile toward Moses. So even though Moses, in his heart, identified with the Jews, he looked at them and felt like he could never fit in. There was an idea that he built about himself and the world around him and how the world viewed him and he wasn't going to let go of it anytime soon. We actually see this happen all over the world and all kinds of different people. In the book, Think Again, written by organizational psychologist Adam Grant, he explains a story that happened in Mann Gulch, Montana in 1949. You see, a huge forest fire broke out and they had to spin a special kind of firefighter called smoke jumpers into the forest to try and stop it. These guys were specially trained to jump out of planes directly into forest fires to help extinguish them. These guys were pretty hardcore to say the least. Now this team of 15 smoke jumpers was led by their foreman, Warner Dodge. And the smoke jumper, jumpers descended down a hill to start assessing, trying to figure out what they could do to help extinguish this huge fire. 
When they got down there, Dodge quickly realized that they weren't going to be able to stop the fire from there. Not only that, while assessing, they saw the fire leap across the gulch, and they only had minutes before the 30-foot-high flames would be surrounding them and would potentially kill them. So Dodge got his men to start retreating back up the slope. If they could just get back to the ridge that they came from, they knew they would be safe. However, they had to go more than 700 yards back uphill in knee-high grass on top of rocky terrain. So they got about 500 yards when Dodge realized they weren't going to get to the ridge before the fire got to them. So thinking quickly, he stopped running, pulled out a matchbook from his pocket, and started a fire in the grass next to him. Then he started to call his fellow jump, smoke jumpers to come and, and jump next to that fire, follow him into this fire over here. The entire crew thought he was crazy and didn't listen to him. Instead, they continued up the hill. They had been expertly trained in forest fires, and they had never seen anyone do what Dodge wanted them to do. So they just followed the knowledge they already had, even though a superior of theirs, someone who cared about who cared about their safety, wanted them to do something that was different than they'd always known. So of this group of 15 smoke jumpers, only three of them survived that day. Two of them made it all the way up to the ridge into safety. The other one was Dodge. You see, what Dodge did was create what is now known as an escape fire. You see, the flames of a forest fire can't burn what has already been burned. So he created this small fire and then lay down in the grass that had already been charred. He doused his handkerchief with water from his canteen and then laid on the ground for 15 minutes as the forest fire passed him by. If the smoke jumpers would have just listened to Dodge, they would have had a much better chance of surviving that fire. And we see something like this happen to Moses. He has created this idea about how the world works and how the world sees him. He's been rejected by the Egyptians and the Jews, so he runs. He runs from his people and the place they are in. He runs from his purpose. He left his entire life, the fancy palace, all the riches, and the only family he'd ever known because of the way he viewed himself. And he never planned on going back. You see, Moses actually starts to lead a very different life than what God had called him to. He leaves Egypt, he gets married, starts a family, builds a new life for himself. He was no longer Moses, the miracle child who escaped genocide, or Moses, the prince of Egypt, and he for sure wasn't Moses the murderer. At this point, he's only known as Moses the shepherd. And with what little we know, it seems like this is a pretty good life for him. He married a great woman with a wise father-in-law. He has land, children, and a good job. What more could he ask for? But something wasn't right. Moses had messed up on his life so badly that he had to leave it. And I don't know exactly what Moses was thinking, but I bet he was disappointing in himself. I'm sure he was telling himself that he wasn't good enough for the palace, and he convinced himself that the life of a shepherd was the best that he would do for the rest of his life. He felt he didn't deserve to do anything more than that. However, God had other plans for Moses. God wanted to show Moses a different way to live his life. So one day, while Moses is taking his flock for a walk, a bush right by him bursts in the flames. But it wasn't like wilting like most fires, you know, like burning out. It just kind of kept on going and going and going. And then all of a sudden, Moses heard a voice calling his name. And Moses walked closer to the bush. And that's where we'll pick up in Exodus 3. There it says, Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. What a day for Moses. Burning bush and a new charge, a new purpose for his life. Not just any call to action, but he's asked to lead an entire nation out of Egypt. What makes this bigger is that Moses has to go through Pharaoh to make this happen. A Pharaoh is in charge of an entire nation, and not just any nation, but a world power. So essentially, God called Moses to take on an entire nation by himself. God called him to do something that seems impossible, something that doesn't make sense to Moses at all. Moses knows who he is and how the world views him, and he is not ready for this job. So look at what he says to God. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? Three more times after this, Moses questioned God on God's decision to choose him to do this task. Each time Moses questioned God, God made a concession for Moses to make it easier for him. Now in his book, Theology as Narration, George Knight has this to say about what is happening with Moses and God in this exchange. He said, God must shake Moses out of his selfish rationalizations. Moses must learn that it is God who is calling him to do the absurdly difficult thing. So the common denominator in Moses' responses to God has been that Moses is thinking in terms of his own resources and not God's resources. Moses has this idea of how everything worked, how the world viewed him, and that was the only way that Moses could view things. And it's easy to see why. Moses murdered someone, then ran away from his cushy life. And at this point, he was not living the best possible life in the eyes of God. So to Moses, there was no way he could pull off any of these things that God was asking. In the end, Moses ran out of excuses and finally just said this. He said, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. You see, at this point, Moses was happy to allow his idea of how the world viewed him dictate how he would listen to God. This conversation with God reveals the truth about Moses. Pharaoh wasn't his enemy. Egypt wasn't his opponent. Moses' real enemy was himself. Now, what about you? What fears or ideas have kept you from moving on to the right thing in your life? What is it that has kept you from listening to your burning bush? Are you afraid that your family and friends will think you are crazy? Are you afraid that following your call will keep you from paying rent? Or are you afraid that this will keep you from being the parent that your child deserves? Now, all of these things that we fear are lies we've been telling ourselves. We have seen the world in one way for too long. We have seen ourselves in one way for so long that even though there's new evidence in front of us that God loves us, cares for us, and sees us as worthy, we refuse to buy into it. So we have to do our best to run away from the lies 
that are in our lives and run toward the truth. In this story of Moses, God is doing his best to help Moses see that he has been chosen and is worthy. God is giving Moses a new path out of the forest fire that he's living in. But Moses is looking at God and saying, I don't want to go. Moses is telling God that he would rather hold on to the lies that he's been told than the truth that God is currently telling him. And we all do the same thing, guys. And as your pastor, I can't let you keep on holding on to the lies that you tell yourself. So each week in this series, I want to do something. I want you to replace a lie that you have in your head with the truth, with God's truth. So this week, it has to do with our idea that on how we view ourselves. We look at ourselves in the middle of this fire of the world. We have gotten this far understanding how things work and how they don't work. We know, right? Oh, I know. I know how to do this. I know everything. But then there is God saying, follow me by laying down beside me. In the same way Dodge yelled out to his fellow smoke jumpers, God is yelling out to you. He's yelling, this fire of this world will pass right by you if you just listen to me. He's yelling, my purpose for you is so much greater than you could ever imagine. He's yelling, sit with me. I know better. So today, I want you to throw away the lie that you aren't good enough to do the thing that God is calling you to. And I want you to accept this transforming truth today. It's that God's word is greater than the world's fire. God's word is greater than the world's fire. Our God is greater than any of the fears or insecurities that we have surrounding us. That's something that we have to remember every single day. And I've seen it happen time and again in my life. So I want to take you back to that day in, in Zito's. I'm looking at this priest going, I can't pray for this dude. I'm a little newbie pastor and, and he's much more holy than I could ever hope to be. So I start to share what I'm thinking and feeling with my friend John. And John encourages me to listen to the truth that God has for me and not the flames of this world. So I walk over to the priest table and introduce myself, introduce myself to my friend John. We chatted pleasantries for a little bit, and I finally let him know that I felt like I'm supposed to pray with him, pray for him. And he's happy to have someone pray for him, so I'm like, okay, cool, let's, let's start praying. So, you know, put a hand on his shoulder. You know, John puts a hand on his shoulder. We start praying. And as I start praying, I get this sense of the reason I was supposed to pray for him. God wanted me to let the priest know that God sees all the good things that this priest is doing. And God just kept on echoing that thought in my head that this priest is seen and God loves the work that the priest is doing. And God is so proud of him, even though it doesn't feel like to the priest that anybody sees what he's doing. So when I'm done praying, I say, amen. I open my eyes and now I'm expecting to see like this priest crying or, or like overwhelmed with emotion because I'm thinking that I just got the message from God that this priest has been dying for, that just needed, that he had been feeling neglected and left out by God and God's people. So when I look at him, we open our eyes. He, he looks at me and just kind of nods his head and he's like, well, yeah, cool, thanks. And that's it. No story of what's going on in his life, nothing about what that word might have meant to him, nothing. So in that moment, I jump into the flames of my thoughts. I, I jump into the forest fire. I'm like, oh, I screwed this up. I wasn't supposed to pray with him. I got the, the, the word I got was just totally wrong. I, I made this whole thing up. And this was just confirmation to me that I was inexperienced and I didn't know what I was doing. I'm basically just like screaming in my own head over and over and over again. Now, luckily, 
John was there. And he asked to pray with the priest as well. So John starts praying, and he basically prays one of the most eloquent, beautiful prayers that I've ever heard. He's basically like calling heaven down to be in that sandwich shop. And the entire time I'm listening, I'm just so grateful that God sent me to start the conversation for John to bring the real word that was needed for the priest. So John finishes up the prayer, and at this moment, you know, the priest looks up and he's got this big smile, and then he turns to me and he says, thank you so much for talking with me. No one ever prays for me. Thank you for doing that. And then he adds, also the, the first time I ever heard God say anything to me, it's that he saw me. He saw the good work I was doing and he was proud of me, even though it didn't feel like anyone else was. That day, even though it didn't make a lot of sense to me, laying down in the grass with God, while the fire of my thoughts and opinions and ideas raged around me, it was the right thing to do. God's word is greater than the world's fire. And here's what God's word says about you. Here's the truth he sees in you. You're worthy of his love. He loves you so much that he sent his only son down to this world, Jesus. So Jesus, God in human form, lived the life of a person. He experienced temptation, emotions, and every part of the human experience. And with all that being said, Jesus lived a life without sin. He was perfect. So what happened is that Jesus ended up laying his life down so he could become the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins, for all the ways that we fall short. And by laying his life down, he became the ultimate eraser of all the sins we have committed and will commit in the future. Jesus was able to look at all of eternity and focus on you. When he was up there on that cross, I imagine he thought of you. He saw the purpose that you had to serve in this world. And he could have gotten off that cross whenever he wanted, but that's the whole thing. He followed through. His action said that you were worth the loneliness on that cross. His action said that you were worth the embarrassment. His action said that you were worth that pain. Jesus was okay to lay his life down for you. Jesus was okay to lay his life down for the purpose you have for his people. And even though you mess up, even though you fall short, even though you hurt people in your life, you were thought of as worthy to Jesus, and you still are. Just like God looked down on Moses and saw that he was worthy of leading the Jewish people, you are looked at as worthy of Jesus' sacrifice. And to accept Jesus' sacrifice for you, it's really simple. All you have to do is simply have a conversation with Jesus. We'd call that a prayer. And then you just let Jesus know that you believe in him and what he did here on this earth the best way you possibly can. You don't have to know everything about Jesus and what he did and, and how real everything is. You can come with him with faith the size of a mustard seed, just super tiny, and that's all it takes. So if you're interested in stepping into that truth that Jesus died for you, then I wanna lead you in a prayer right now. Now, to help you out, I'd like to ask everyone in the Akuo community to pray along with you because here at Akuo, no one ever has to pray alone. There is always a community here to pray with you. So if you want to connect yourself to Jesus today by accepting his truth, pray something like this with me. Just go ahead and bow your heads and say something like this. Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you for looking at me and seeing more. Today, I want to say that I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe that you came down from heaven 
to this earth for me. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And the best way I know how, I want to accept that truth. I want to accept the love that you have for me. Thank you for everything. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Now let's keep our heads bowed. Now if you've been united to Jesus and you've believed in this truth, whether it's been for the last five decades or the last five seconds, it just happened right now, and you want Jesus to take over all the lies that have been told to you and all the lies that you've told yourself, I want you to pray something like this along with me right now. Just pray something like this between you and Jesus. Just say, Jesus, thank you for everything. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. Thank you for seeing in me what I can't see. Thank you for seeing in me what I refuse to see. Jesus, I ask you to show me the ways you see me as worthy. Jesus, I ask you to erase all the lies that I hear about myself. Take away all the terrible things that I've thrown on myself or other people have. Jesus, I ask you to erase those lies and replace them with your truth about me. Jesus, I accept the truth that you speak over me, that I am worthy, that I am loved, that I am yours. Please continue to speak, speak this truth into my life. Remind me of that truth when I start to spiral out of control and I find myself in the middle of these fires. Thank you again for everything. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, guys, well, just thank you so much for spending time with us here today. Uh, before we go, I have a few things that I wanna share with you. The first thing I wanna talk about is uh, next week. Next week, we're gonna, we're gonna continue this series called I Don't Wanna Go. Now, what we're gonna be talking about next week is what happens when Moses actually steps into the truth about himself, leads the, the Jews out of Egypt, and while they're out there living in the wilderness, what happens and how the Jews look at Egypt in a much different way than they did as they were leaving. It's gonna be a very good one. So be sure and watch along with us live at 8.30 and 10 or catch us on any of our streaming platforms. Next, I wanna to talk to you about how we practice generosity here at Akuo. What we do is practice the biblical method of giving called tithing, which means giving a first fruit 10% offering to the storehouse, which is your local church. We know that when you trust God with your finances, there is a great blessing. Really, when you trust God with anything, there's a blessing. When you trust God with your family, there's a blessing. When you trust God with your friends, blessing. Work, blessing. So we know that when you trust God with something, you get a blessing, and it's the same thing with your finances. Now, we're not saying that when you trust God with your, with your finances and you give a tenth of your finances over to your local storehouse, which is your local church, uh, God's gonna hook you up with a yacht or anything crazy like that. No. It's, he's gonna give you a spiritual blessing and that's what we want you guys to receive. That's what you want you guys to have. Now we understand that things might be tough right now and if you can't tithe, it's okay. We wanna be linked to you during your tough season. So if you need anything at all, please reach out to us or if you need someone that needs something, please let us know. For that, all you have to do is go to our website at kuo.church and click on the contact us link. You can also email me directly at humby.sedveta at akuo.church, or you can also text or call the church directly at 210-901-8785.
Now, if you're willing to tithe here at Akuo, the way you can do that is by going to our website, akuo.church, then click on the giving link and following the instructions there. We also have our text to tithe option for that. All you have to do is text Akuo, A-K-O-U-O, and the dollar amount you wanna to tithe to the number 77977. Now, if you don't wanna give electronically, we also have our PO box available if you'd like to send your tithe through a check. For that, all you have to do is mail your tithe to Akuo at PO Box 100-125, San Antonio, Texas, 78201. Now, the next thing I wanna remind you about is our Zoom group. This is a great way for us to get together and hear about how God is bearing fruit in us and how we can share it with one another. The other part is we can talk about the places that we don't wanna go and get encouraged by our community to go to those places that God is calling us. So for that, go onto our social media or our website to click on the link for every single Wednesday night at 7.30. Again, to find this link, go to our social media or our website. Now, in addition to the Zoom group, we have our first in-person group meeting here in the Monticello Park neighborhood every single Monday night. It's taking place outside and everyone, uh, for the meantime, is being asked to wear a mask. And if you are interested in being a part of it, just connect with us on our social media to see all about it. Okay, guys, that's all that we have for you today. I want you to know, as always, I love you all, and I'm praying for each and every one of you all week long. So before we go, let me just pray over you one last time. So uh, Jesus, as everyone clicks off their browser, turns off their TV, and puts away their phone, I ask that you'd be speaking to them. I pray that you would hear, that they would hear you. I pray that they would see you, calling them to come and lay with you while this fire rages around them. I pray that they would be able to understand that with you, they are always safe. That your word is so much greater than all the things that they will hear around them every single day. Lord, I ask that you would help them turn their I don't want to go into I want to go. Thank you for everything, Jesus. We love you. And we pray all of these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, guys, that's all that we have for you. We'll see you this week on Monday night or on Wednesday night. Thanks for spending time with us today. You can find this message and any recent sermon available on demand at our website, akuo.church. That's A-K-O-U-O dot church. Also, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Akuo Church. Welcome to the community. We hope to hear from you soon.